0: Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast, we trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Hi there, everyone. So it's Rich here. A very warm welcome to you all. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Revelation Church, and we're going to be diving into God's word together this morning. Um, But a very warm welcome if you're joining uh, from one of the hubs across North London or whether you found your way to us um, online. You're so welcome to be with us. Um, And I hope that as we open God's word that you are challenged Uh, inspired and transformed by the power of God um, at work in your life um, as we read scripture, as we delve in to the truth uh, that we uncover. Today, um, if you've uh, joined with us over the last uh, few weeks, you'll know that we're journeying through a series called Entering the Promised Land, uh, where we're looking at the story of Joshua in the book of Joshua and um, towards the beginning of the Bible um, that tells about how God's people um, move into the promised land to take possession of the land in that they take possession of it. They dispossess uh, the Bible uses that word. They dispossess the people in the land. They essentially drive them out uh, before them. And as we saw uh, last week, as Steph touched on, um, a part of that driving out is driving out the peoples, um, but is driving out the idolatry and the the, the, the pagan worship um, that is present in the land. And so the Israelites, uh, they drive out from before them um, the inhabitants so that they might um, possess The land. Um, Now, this was promised to them centuries earlier um, to a man named Abraham. They've been released from captivity in Egypt. They wandered in the desert for 40 years and they've just embarked on this military conquest and to take the promised land. They've seen the fall of Jericho. um, And in the last chapter, they just saw um, the defeat of Ai. So let's dive in. uh, And I'm going to read Joshua chapter nine, verses one through to 15. The words will come up um, on the screen as I'm reading. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the low land all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites... The Hevites and the Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they, on their part, acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn-out and torn and mended with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, And said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us. How do we know we can make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, from a very distant country. Your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants." Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread, it was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the long journey, for the journey on the day we set out to come to you, but now behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wine skins were new when we filled them and behold they have burst and these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions and did not seek counsel from the Lord. and Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we open your word, Lord, that you would uh, speak to us today. That you would challenge us, you would convict us, you would transform us through the power of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we see here in Joshua 15? Well, we see at the beginning, all of the people uh, are catching wind of the Israelites' victory, um, of perhaps their slightly unusual strategies of how they're taking the land, of how they're defeating cities, of how God is with them and showing them how to, uh, if you like, advance and possess the land. And these people are starting to get a little bit nervous and so they decide to band together. They all band together to, to come together as one, to unify as an army against Israel and against Israel. Joshua, that is uh, including uh, the Hivites uh, who were the inhabitants of Gibeon. But this, these people, the inhabitants of Gibeon, uh, they take a slightly different tack. They use cunning and they say, well, maybe if we can get them to make a covenant of peace with us, maybe we can kind of trick them um, into making peace with us. That means we can just carry on living in the land. We can carry on with our idol worship. We can carry on living as we want to live. And so what they do is they, they basically pretend um, to have come a long way. So they basically uh, turn up at Israel's camp in Gilgal. They turn up as just a bit of a scruffy mess. Clothes are worn out, sandals ruined, wineskins burst and mended. Um, they just turn up their food. They're um, all dried out and uh, crumbly and and disgusting really and so they turn up at the israelites um house and they and they, uh, their camp and they say come on make a covenant of peace with us we've come a long way to serve you we've come a long way to come under uh, if you like your leadership uh, to come under it's a dip- diplomatic process essentially they're trying to make an agreement of peace um so that they can continue to live um in the land and actually um that's what we see um uh, happens right at the end. Joshua gives way and Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them. A covenant is a promise. A covenant is a promise that is a binding agreement. Now, today we have covenants. We It's usually a legal term, but a covenant would be an agreement between two parties um, that, that, that outset that, if you like, uh, that set the parameters of that relationship. And so here, Joshua makes a covenant with the Hivines. He makes a covenant to let them live. And what we see, actually, is uh, that's what they were after. They come um, all dishevelled and essentially they deceive the people of God. They deceive them into making this promise to let them live and to spare them. And actually, I just want to touch on three characteristics of this deception Um, And then look at how that applies to our lives and how we can then avoid that deception. First of all, the deception was plausible. When they turned up, they looked an absolute wreck. Uh, Joshua and the people of Israel kind of thought, well, they can't have come to attack us because look at them. They're an absolute mess. They're a ragtag bunch of people. Their clothes are falling apart. They've got no food. They can't have come to attack us. Um, They must be coming for some other reason. Their deception, what they came with, looked plausible. Second of all, it was flattering. What they said to Joshua was, we've heard about what God has done in delivering you from Egypt. We've heard about how you defeated Jericho and Ai. We've come to be your servants. We've come to come under your leadership. It's flattering. And deception is often flattering. It often tells us what we want to hear. Um, there may well have been a sense of, of an, a bit of an ego boost for the Israelites. Think, yeah, actually, we are doing well. The military conquest is is going well. We're winning. We've just defeated Ai. Jericho's fallen. You know, this is this land is ours for the taking. Everybody's petrified. They're gathering together, think, trying to come against us. But we know God is on our side. Yeah, we're doing all right. Thank you very much. And deception will often do that. It will tell you what you want to hear. And lastly, the deception was binding. We see in verse 15 that uh, um, Joshua makes a covenant with the Hivites. It was binding. And so where did Joshua and the Israelites go wrong to fall into this deception? Well, in in verse 8, they ask questions, don't they? Who who are you and and where have you come from? It's interesting that they actually didn't really get an answer. What they got was a fairly vague response about who they were um, and where they were from. They didn't really get an answer of who they were. They just said, well, we've come from a very distant land. We've come from a long, long way away. Look, we're a disheveled mess. Um, Will you make a covenant of peace with us? But we're given an even slightly uh, deeper insight into where they went wrong in verse 14. It says, so the men took some of their provisions and did not ask counsel from the Lord. So having been, uh, if you like, uh, looking at the evidence in front of them, these people have come a long way. Looking um, at the, uh, if you like, the flattery. Uh, the self-inflated ego, uh, and then uh, considering this, this binding covenant. They did not ask counsel from the Lord. What we see here is Joshua and the people of Israel stepping out of God's leadership and counsel. What they do is they make a judgment irrespective of God. They think to themselves, well, it's plausible. Um, Yeah, we're going to go for it. We're going to make a covenant with these people. And they didn't seek God's counsel. What they did in that moment was they stepped out of uh, the leadership, the guidance of God. They didn't seek his advice. They didn't seek his direction. They chose to trust their own judgment over God's leadership. That's essentially what deception is. We see that in Scripture. God's uh, deception is basically um, stepping out of the provision of God's care and guidance and actually uh, trusting our own instincts and our own judgments. That's biblical deception. And we understand it correctly. In fact, um, the one that would steer us away from God's leadership, God's direction, um, what the Bible calls the enemy, um, Satan, he is called the great deceiver, the father of lies. And in fact, right back in Genesis 3, where we see Eve takes the fruit from the tree and eats it. What do we see happen in that conversation? Well, the serpent comes to Eve and says, did God really say not to eat of any tree in the Garden of Eden? Now, that's not what God had said. And we see this deception creeping in, this twisting of God's words, this this snake saying, will you step out of the covering and truth as God has expressed it? And will you trust in your own judgment? Because it says after that, and Eve, seeing that the apple was good for food, or seeing that the fruit was good for food, I apologise, it's not an apple. Seeing that the fruit was good for food, she ate of it. She made a judgement aside from God's leadership, his counsel. She didn't ask counsel of the Lord. And that's exactly what we see happening here. Joshua didn't ask counsel of the Lord. In fact, if we fast forward this, deception throughout Scripture actually takes exactly the same form. It encourages us to step out of um, God's leadership, God's rule, and God's reign. We see in Matthew 11, uh, Jesus talking about deception. He says, uh, sorry, not Matthew 11, Matthew 24 um, and verse 4. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So Jesus is saying there will be others that pretend to be me. There will be others that pretend to be the Christ, the saviour of the world. There will be others that come and will lead some astray. But there's other ways that we can be deceived, too. In uh, Colossians. In Colossians 2, verse 8, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. You see, deception in every form, whether it's philosophical um, in terms of wanting to uh, steer towards the wisdom of man, it moves away from God. If it's promises that are not according to or not from God, they're according to man. Then again, it's deception that moves us out of the plan and purposes, out of the sovereignty and lordship. Of Christ, and and that's a very dangerous place to be. In fact, if we go a little bit deeper, even with our story in uh, Genesis, it says in two Corinthians eleven, verse three. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Your thoughts will be led astray from this sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So if we're going to be led astray, if we're going to be deceived, we have to be deceived from something. We have to be taken away from something. And here in Corinthians, we see it's a removing from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And actually, for all of us as believers We would have found that uh, moments, a moment in our life, and probably moments in our life, where actually we came to a realization that we didn't have all of the answers, that we didn't understand uh, the context. And actually, the deception in our heart was from the enemy that had distracted us away, the deception was from our own hearts that had turned away and made judgments according to our own understanding. And not according to God's wisdom and counsel. And so actually to combat this deception, we must do two things. Firstly, we must be humble enough to live in according to God's word. We must be humble enough to openly acknowledge our mistakes To openly come and turn away from trusting in our own judgments. The Bible calls that repentance. Turning away from our own understanding, our own judgment from worldly wisdom. And putting our faith and trust in Christ. And coming under his counsel, his lordship, his guidance. Second of all is to then be submitted to Christ's lordship. And so we see this turning away. And we see this submission to pure devotion, as it talks about in, in, in 2 Corinthians, this pure devotion to Christ. That actually we live according to his counsel, his rules, his guidance, his, his way and parameters set out for us through his word. That's why everything we do, we, we bring it back to scripture. We weigh it against God's word. We say, well, God, what has God said in Scripture? And therefore, how does what we're doing, how does the way we're expressing X, Y, Z, whatever it is. For instance, if we were to take giving, how do we express our giving in accordance with God's word? Well, what does God's word say about giving? And then we make every effort to live our lives in submission to that. Another provision for us is one another. That actually God has given us one another as gifts to speak into uh, one another's lives. That actually through brothers and sisters, there is much wisdom to be gleaned as God speaks, challenges, transforms us by his power. That wisdom and insight can then be passed on to others. That's essentially discipleship. That we disciple one another into following Christ, into living in submission under um, God's word. That actually um, the Bible calls that a covenant. In the same way that Joshua and the people of Israel made a covenant with the Hivites to let them go, a binding agreement. That actually when we come, when we are humble enough to turn away from trusting in our own judgments and when we live in submission to God's word, and we live in, in submission to God's promises, we come under his covenant. And that covenant is binding. It's interesting, isn't it, that it moves away from the truth of the gospel. And here's the truth of the gospel. That actually all of us have been deceived. All of us. When we were born into this world, we're deceived in our hearts, that we moved away from 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 God's rules and God's way of doing things to actually trust in our own judgments to we became arrogant and proud trying to do things in our own strength. But actually what that did was that 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 created a chasm that removed us from living under God's lordship. And actually what's needed is for something to repair and restore that relationship. But if our hearts are deceived, if we're moved out of God's leadership, we can't change that. We can't transform that. We can't move back into God's lordship and leadership. We need something more powerful because the Bible describes that as us having died. When we step out of God's leadership, we have essentially spiritually died. And so we need, we need an event or a circumstance to cause us to come alive again, to be reborn, the Bible says, and thereby come back under Christ's lordship. And that event was the cross. That was the purpose of Jesus coming to earth. That was the purpose of Jesus living a perfect life, And dying a perfect death. He lived in perfect submission to the Father, never deceived, in perfect humility under God's authority. And he died to make provision for you and me, that we might be brought back under the Lordship and reign of Christ. And that covenant that he has made with us, that promise is binding when we live in that promise when we are found the bible says in christ when we humble ourselves and turn away from our own judgments and put our confidence in him we 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 we, we come under his lordship and we are found in christ and now that covenant is now ours that promise of salvation is ours and so we have two responses to this. Firstly, if you are not a believer, the first response must be to come in humility. Turn away from trying to do things in your own strength. Turn away from the deception that, 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 that has gripped your heart. Come in humility, repent, the Bible says, apologize, turn away from those things and live in submission according to Christ. The second thing, if you are a believer, then it's to live in light of that. There will be many other things in life. There will be lots of things that try and steal our attention away from the primacy. of. From the firstness of the gospel, that seek to try and elevate things, whether that whether they're even good things, will try and elevate them above God's authority. But we must fight as believers to live in submission to God's word, and so everything that we encounter, well, what does the Bible say about that? And so, even when we look at some of the issues, particularly in our society at the moment, around. Um, Social justice? What does the Bible say about social justice? It's not enough just to advocate for justice. It's enough to advocate for a gospel that preaches and proclaims justice. The gospel must take primacy over all of those things that we encounter and we must and it it is can be tiring can be exhausting but we know there is a promise so where i mentioned the enemy the father of lies the great deceiver who has uh, from the beginning of creation genesis 3 has deceived mankind adam and eve and the rest of history in revelation 12 it says the great deceiver the accuser Of the brothers and sisters. The accuser has been thrown down forever. That the enemy has been defeated. That actually we can have confidence that as we preach the gospel. As we preach justice, reconciliation, hope, love through the gospel. That actually we can be confident that God will bring about his victory. In the lives and circumstances of those around us. Now, I understand this This can feel a little bit abstract, a little bit intangible. But you see, it's it's about adopting a posture. It's about where are our roots placed? Are we going to trust in the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of man? Or are we going to trust in the wisdom and foundation as provided for us by God? So let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you. Lord, for your kindness and Jews, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us in those areas of our lives, Lord, where we may have given way uh, to deception. Where perhaps we didn't see it, perhaps we trusted in our own judgment and we just made decisions irrespective of, of, of your consultation without coming to you first, without turning these things over in prayer, without seeking godly wisdom and, and advice and guidance from brothers and sisters. Lord, we just pray, God, for grace. And we pray, God, that you would come and help us, Lord, to come and, and, and just lay those things humbly before you and walk in accordance with your word and live in submission to your word and live in the light of the incredible covenant that you have brought us into as your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name. Amen.